Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. The Gospel of Luke in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, chapter 24. Continuing in our series, The Challenge of Easter, we're talking about the resurrection today. The greatest challenge of all is the resurrection. The fact of, did it happen? What does it mean? Is it just a story and a myth? All those kinds of things. We're going to try to answer all your questions today. No. But a few of them maybe. Luke chapter 24. Keep your Bibles open at Luke 24. We've been looking at it several times today. As you turn to that passage, we do want to remember that next week is Russ's last week here. Russell Pierce, our youth minister, is going on to First Baptist in Lexington. And I think your title is Minister to Youth and Young Families. Is that right? Okay. So he's going to start. It's a full-time position. So a big step for Russ and Amanda. So we're going to miss him. Next week will be your last Sunday. So I'm going to ask that you bring cards and we'll do a card shower for you, okay? So don't leave without your cards next week. And so if you bring a card or a gift, we'll have a basket out there for you. And we hope you do that because Russ has been a big part of our fellowship for several years. We've watched him grow up. We've watched his kids grow up. And his wife has kept them under control. Good job, Amanda. As always, we begin with prayer. As I said earlier, what you're doing today makes you part of something bigger than you ever imagined. You know, we say that following Jesus is a personal decision, and it is. It is an intimate thing between you and God alone. At the same time, as you live out your faith, you do it with this family of faith. Catholics, Baptists, Pentecostals, Methodists. All those isms. If they claim Jesus as Savior, you are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we all today recognize Jesus as resurrected Savior. So you are something bigger than any other organization on the planet. And it is a wonderful thing. I'll give you a few moments to pray silently. I'll close and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me please? Heavenly Father, again we worship today. A very special day in our lives. In the life of the church. We recognize your achievement in history. You changed everything. You created. You watched us fall. We resisted you. And then you moved in a way that was unmistakable. You sacrificed your son Jesus. Brought him back from the dead and conquered death once and for all. Thank you. Through this death and resurrection, we have forgiveness of sin, your spirit which lives within us, hope in this life and in the life to come. Thank you. We are grateful, Father, for your love and mercy towards us. We worship you, Father, humbly, recognizing our sin. We ask for mercy and forgiveness. We all sin and fall short of your glory. It's what we do. Help us, Father. Cleanse us as only you can. Change our hearts. 
Make us better than we are. Help us to be the person you have created us to be. We pray for faith, a strengthening of our faith, and a willingness to live our faith in a way that is more than words. We look around us and we see a world that is stained and destroyed by sin. We ask for your help. Give us willingness to share our message, a willingness to give of our time and energies. We pray, Father, that you would work on this earth. We are in dire circumstances, we on this planet. We seem to be hell-bent on destroying everything in our face. Help us. We pray especially for those in Ukraine. You would stop the horrors there, Father. Help us in some way to act that can end the hostilities. We know that in other parts of the world there are wars just as terrible. Work there too. We need your help, Father. We can't fix this with politics alone. We pray for changed hearts, restrained spirits. As always, we pray for our first responders, our soldiers, our medical personnel, those that serve the public, keep them safe, comfort their families. For those that have lost loved ones in the hostilities over the years, give them peace and comfort knowing that their sacrifice was not in vain. Again, Father, we just ask for your help. We worship you. You are the one God. We worship you and you alone. Speak to us now from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isn't it amazing how events challenge us to think and do? Something that doesn't affect us at all can affect us completely. Ever wondered about that? You know, to be honest with you, and I've read others say this, I feel a little bit guilty because when I talk about the war in Ukraine, and I read about the horrors, and I see the images on screen that are going on there, I have to acknowledge that it really doesn't affect me at all, except my gas is a little more expensive, and maybe bread's going to cost more in a few more months, and those kinds of things. But, you know, I don't know anybody over there personally. I don't have any vested interest in the nation Ukraine. And so, on a practical level, it doesn't affect me at all. And yet... As I watch on TV every night, the same thing over and over, and they catch the images of the dead bodies and the destroyed homes and other things. My wife and I talk and she says, Kev, we got to do something. And she's right. Images affect us, don't they? Even when they don't affect us on a practical level, they affect us. They, they stir things within us. They make us think. They challenge us. Well, today, we talk about an image. You can see it right behind me. An empty cross. It's an image. Just a picture. Doesn't affect you on a practical level until you think about it. And then, if you're not careful, it will make you think. And it will affect you. So today we're going to talk about how this image of the cross, this empty cross and the resurrection it symbolizes, how does that affect us? How does it impact our lives on a spiritual level, on a philosophical level, and yes, even on a physical level? How does the resurrection challenge us? 
Let's read the story. If you're following, if you would, in Luke 24, a short story of the resurrection. I'll read the first 12 verses, Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only and he went away to his home marveling at that which had happened. On screen is this first idea I want you to grab. The resurrection of Jesus is rooted in history. Isn't it amazing how the disciples responded to the news? Nah, never happened. Why would they lie? Why would people doubt an empty cross? Why is it that most people see the empty cross and don't think anything about it? Well, I, I think the reason is because we're smart people. We've been around. We're not dumb kids. We don't believe myths and fairy tales. We bury our dead. We grieve their loss. And we go on with our lives knowing that we will never see them again. And, and that's the way it is for all of humanity historically. People die. It's horrible. It's a great loss. We grieve. And then we rebuild. And that's the way it is. Tammy and I are trying to be honest with our grandkids about death and getting old. And grandkids need to learn stuff about old people. And they learn stuff about their dogs. Dogs and animals die, etc. But people they're not sure about. My wife has rheumatoid arthritis and her joints hurt a lot. And rather than explain everything to our grandkids, particularly our three-year-old who is particularly nosy, nosy and just has to know everything. Tammy has beginning to, to describe to her how her old bones hurt. And she goes, what you mean, Nana? And she explains to her that when people get old, their bones hurt. And she goes, you got old bones? And when Tammy isn't walking just right or her hands hurt, your old bones hurting? And yesterday I wasn't walking just right. My back's out of whack, you know. And she said, Pop, your old bones hurt? I said, yes. And she knew that all people have old bones. And, of course, everybody's older than her. She's three. And so she knows that old bones hurt. And that's just the way it's going to be. And ultimately she has to learn, doesn't she? that old bones and people with old bones die. It's a hard lesson. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody somewhere could do something that would take away that sting of old bones and death? Wouldn't it be something if somebody could do something where even though people died we could live with the conviction that it wasn't over. That maybe there was more than just this. That maybe 
when grandma was laid to rest or granddaddy or papa or whomever that maybe there was a possibility that you would see them again wouldn't that be wonderful well you know the answer don't you that empty cross says somebody has done just that somebody God himself did something resurrection to change everything because you and I live with this conviction as do Christians throughout human history that when we die horrible as it is death isn't over it's, it's not all there is yes this physical body is over they will never see us like this again but we live with this conviction that in eternity and, and we don't really have any details something is gonna happen and it's gonna be wonderful and you and I will see those that have passed on before. No details. We'll have some kind of physical body. We know that. We will know people. Probably relationships will be a little bit different. We don't know all the details. Amazingly, God hasn't confused us with a lot of stuff we might fiddle with. Rather, he just says, trust me. The resurrection means I've beaten death. The sting is taken away. The finality of death is no longer. It's just something that God has taken care of. Paul said it like this. Death is swallowed up in victory. We have victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So even though we still experience death, you and I, with our old bones, will die. That's not it. Just the beginning, so says Paul. He says, and he likened this death to those that are going on a journey. And he used language of the shipyard. People who die are casting off on a journey. So death isn't the end. In fact, from the biblical perspective, death is the beginning because this is just a preliminary thing. Right now, things can be really good, but there's so much stuff that isn't. But someday, because of this empty cross, life will be absolutely pure and wonderful for those who follow Jesus. The resurrection manifests God's power on earth. So on screen are a couple of ideas here. The resurrection demonstrates God's willingness to work on our midst. One school of thought has this idea that God created the heavens and the earth and then he walked away. Others reject this whole idea of creation completely. And yet the Christian perspective is, not only did God create the heavens and the earth, he fully intended to be involved in your life and in mine. In the garden, remember, there was this conversation going on between God and the first couple. Literal, yes. Parable two, yes. That was his intent. To live with us. To love us. To share his wisdom and joy with us to make this life worth living in other words to take this life on earth and make it better than we can imagine and we blew that and we still do it today in our sin and yet God continues to reach down the whole Old Testament is a story of God reaching down trying to get through our thick skulls you need to follow me and we said no and finally God did what he had to do on the cross and that fixed, made it possible for things to change. He worked in history. He did something that no one had ever done before. He did something that no one could do. He demonstrated that God works right now, right here, and has done something bigger than we can imagine to make it possible for death to be eliminated. 
Remember the, the word from the Christmas sermons, Emmanuel? It literally meant God with us. His intent all along was to be with us. Resurrection made it possible. When you receive Jesus as Savior, you confess your sins, you ask Him to save you, you don't become perfect, but you open up your life to God's influence. The Scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit, part of God Himself, comes and lives within us. He is with us, answering prayers, goading us into action, comforting us, convicting us in our sin, living in our lives as He intended. One of the other things is the resurrection is an act of God that can be seen by everyone. Not everybody who sees an empty cross understands it. If you ever get an opportunity and someone says, I wonder why they do that, tell them. Because that was when God changed everything and they'll go, what in the world are you talking about? Tell them. It's when God's son died on the cross and God brought him back from the dead to give us a chance at new life. It's a symbol that everybody can see. It's not a fashion symbol, even though some people have reduced it to that. It's not just necessarily a religious symbol. In fact, as if you remember, the symbol of the cross before Jesus was a symbol of defeat and curse and shame. It was something that the Roman government did to kill murderers. And it was understood. If you were hung on a cross, you were worse than any animal. And then in a single act, God changed everything, didn't he? He acted in history. He acted in a way that people could see it. And to this day, you, with a simple act of a symbol, a picture, or talking about the cross, can bring something greater to mind that sometimes people just don't understand. But God fully wants us to understand it. I'm kind of a history buff, not crazy history buff, but some things out of history just stick in my mind. One of the things I've learned over the years in history is that historians understand, and you probably know this, that the farther back you go in history, the less we know for sure. I mean, we don't have any eyewitnesses. We have people telling stories, and then we read newspaper clips, and then you begin to realize, and this is where it gets kind of sticky, the newspaper clips from a hundred years ago were written by one person in an isolated time, and he may not have been thoroughly versed in the facts. And we know from our own culture that sometimes just because it's in a newspaper or a newscast doesn't mean it's believable or true, right? We know that. We have to fact check and all those kinds of things. The farther back in history you go, the more difficult it is to know what really happened Amazingly, some of those events in ancient history that we just take for granted are sometimes based on the testimony of just one person. Usually, a professional historian working for a king or emperor. Scholars say that the most reliable forms of ancient communication are personal letters, because typically in personal letters, people were just writing things to someone they loved, and it wasn't usually something with an agenda. It was just... They were just writing about life events. So personal letters are what you want to see if you're reading in ancient history. And amazingly, you know what you carried in today, many of you? A scripture, a Bible. And do you know that almost every book in the New Testament is a personal letter 
written from one individual to a group of individuals or to another individual. Personal letters that are the most authoritative witness in ancient history. And you've got a Bible full of them. Personal letters where somebody wrote about they saw this man come back from the dead. Jesus appeared ten times, some say eleven, sometimes to an individual, this is after the crucifixion, to a couple of women, to a couple of men, to the disciples, to the disciples again, to a crowd on the beach, to well over 500 people, eyewitness accounts that defy the test of hallucinations because typically mass hysteria is all the same. Everybody says the same thing, but that's not what happened. Jesus appeared to a number of people in a variety of situations and we have all these different experiences verifying that at least as much as anything else we know about this resurrection of Jesus is history. It's good to know. God worked in a way where people could see us. One other thing that verifies this story and gives it some sense of authenticity at the crucifixion, Jesus' followers were terrified because they understood if the Roman government was willing to kill this guy, Jesus, and the priesthood wanted him dead, probably all his followers were subject to the same thing. And they were right. So they kind of snuck away and they hid themselves and they laid pretty low. And then the whole resurrection thing with Jesus' appearances and his ascension into heaven and all those kinds of things. And dramatically and almost magically, more than magic, they were changed. And this group of Frady Cat disciples, 11 now, eventually made 12 again, they became these bold people that simply would not shut up about the resurrected Jesus. In fact, as we know that for the most part, they went on and carried on this dramatic ministry where they literally traveled everywhere they could, telling everybody that would listen to them about the resurrection of Jesus. And they didn't care. And they were beaten. And many of them were murdered. Martyred for the faith. And they didn't care. Something about that resurrection story changed them. They saw the resurrected Jesus, see. It happened. Rooted in history. And we can't prove it. We understand this. Some scholars say, well, you still can't believe it. And because, you know, we don't have video, even though we know you can't trust video, and no eyewitnesses are alive today, we know that eyewitnesses don't know to tell the truth. You know, all the things that scientists and scholars say, you know, listen to them. But still, the argument for the resurrection is pretty strong. As strong as anything else out of ancient history. The challenge of the resurrection is that it refutes the assertion that God doesn't work in human life. If the resurrection is true, if God worked and manifested himself in the flesh through Jesus, and Jesus lived on earth and did the miracles, if anything in the New Testament is true about this Jesus, particularly the crucifixion and resurrection, then the idea that God doesn't work is refuted. And there's the challenge, isn't it? Because if God works, if anything about this story is true, well then there is a God who can make a difference. And that changes everything. There are people who say, well, gods are okay, belief in gods if you need to be religious, but they really don't do anything. It's all your own imagination. But if the resurrection is true, 
Well, that flies out the window because there is a God who does something when people need something done. One other thing on screen. God's power over death gives us hope for the future. Jesus had a conversation with a woman, Martha. Had a brother, Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. She was lamenting the fact that if Jesus would have gotten there earlier, he could have done something because Jesus was a healer and they knew that. And, if he, and the conversation was, if you'd have just gotten here earlier, you could have saved him. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. She didn't get it. Jesus meant death is not an issue. The rest of the story was, of course, he went out and he called Lazarus from the dead out of the tomb. And there was a huge party. The Bible doesn't give us any details. But you and I both know that if your loved one came out of the grave like that, there would be a party. And it would be a several day party. And it would be worth it as, as an extravagant a celebration as you could do. Because Jesus conquered death. This thing called death is just so final. As my little granddaughter says, Pop, you got old bones? Well, yes, I do. Thank you for bringing that up. And she reminds me that my days are numbered, as are yours. And I don't want her to understand or worry about anything yet. But she will come to realize what those old bones mean, won't she? Of course she will. So, the fact that life and death and this life will come to an end is it's pretty hard to take. But for the fact that because of this resurrection, because of what God has done in Jesus, it really isn't the end. So on screen are some things we can gain. Hope that comes from the resurrection. Strength for this life. Here's the way you can think. Based on the truthfulness of the resurrection and the fact that God does stuff. We can think like this. When you're confronted with a difficult situation where you just don't know what to do and literally nothing can be done, maybe it might be a good idea to think like this. You know, if God raised Jesus from the dead, maybe he could do something with me. In a situation where you don't know what to do and everybody seems against you and the writing's on the wall and all this, you know, worst case, it might be a good idea to think, you know, God worked in a hopeless situation at the murder of his son and he brought life. Ever thought about that? You see, this is what God does best, and I, I've done this over this decades as pastor. I've done several hundred funerals, and, and strangely enough, and I'm, it's kind of a perverse thing here, I really enjoy doing funerals. Now, I, I don't like doing weddings that much. Too many emotions, which is kind of bizarre comparing it to a funeral, but weddings are just, they're just difficult. But funerals, funerals are a time when people want to hear truth that can help. And you know what I've got? I've got this book. It's a great book, by the way. And it's full of truths that can help. And based on the resurrection of Jesus, I can tell those people who've lost loved ones, listen, this isn't all there is. The God who made the resurrection happen, he's right here. 
with us, Emmanuel. And that God is going to work. And we don't know what he's going to do, all the details. We don't have a timeline, but God's going to work. Now and in the future. Yes. You don't have to understand everything to appreciate it. There is strength for this life because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Because the cross is empty. One of the other things we can gain. Comfort and loss. When you lose someone, God's got it under control. Now I have read Christians who say, well, when someone dies you shouldn't grieve because they're with Jesus, you should be happy. And I understand what they're trying to say, but that's not really very human. We're humans, we love, and when we lose someone we grieve. And, and by the way, sometimes people grieve for years and that's just the way it is. Nothing wrong with them. It's not a sign of a lack of faith. It's a sign of pain that they lost someone they really love. And in those times, there is comfort. Because the God who took care of Jesus in death and brought him back to life and, and gave him joy once again. The God who raised Lazarus from the dead. That God is still at work. And the power of the resurrection is, is here for you. So when you lose loved ones, and you will, or you face your own death, and you will, there is peace and comfort. Paul said it was the peace that passes understanding. In other words, it doesn't make sense necessarily. When you love someone and you're distraught, there should be no peace. And yet, for those who follow Jesus, and they've lost someone who followed Jesus, in death, there is comfort. God's taking care of them. My image of death is this. At the moment where you cease to be, you wake in the presence of God. And I don't really know what that looks like. And I don't have to. God can handle it. We don't understand all about a physical resurrection that we will experience later. Timing is different. But at the moment of our death, who we are is with God. There is great comfort there. When you face your death, you do not have to be afraid. What happens when you die? Like I said, you awake in the presence of God. For those who follow Jesus, we are brought back to life for life. Again, the Bible doesn't give us many details, but we know that the life that is after this life is even better. Paul said it like this. I'm kind of between a rock and a hard spot, modern language. Between a rock and a hard spot. I can work right now with you people that I love, and that's a great thing. Or, I can go and be with the Father, which is much better. What's better? The Bible has these images of the afterlife. Banqueting tables, think buffet, right? We like those. And all those kinds of things mansions, streets of gold. That's really not the way it's going to be. Those are images that help us understand. The afterlife that God has planned for us is going to be better than anything you can imagine. But it's going to be good. I don't know what family systems are going to be like. I don't know what our bodies are going to be like. We knew Jesus looked human, but he was different in some way. And we don't need to know all those details. It's going to be wonderful. 
on screen is a passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. And they remembered his words. And it clicked. Oh. Today, we end our service with one of the things that Jesus wanted us to do in that last week when he went to Jerusalem just before his crucifixion. He had a meal. He said, when you guys get together, he was very casual about it. He wasn't big on ritual. When you get together and you take bread and, and drink wine, remember, the bread symbolizes my flesh. The wine symbolizes my blood. And remind yourself of these things. He intended for Christians to gather and do this to remind ourselves of why we're here. We're not in church because we're good people. We're in church because we're people of the resurrection. We follow the resurrected Christ. We follow Jesus. Hopefully it makes us nice. Hopefully it makes us good people. But that's not the point. The point is Jesus wants us to remember what this is all about. Easter isn't about the bunny and the eggs. And yes, the pastor's kids did an Easter egg hunt. We do that. Nobody dressed up as a bunny yet. I haven't, Tammy hasn't found an outfit, which is fine with me. You know, so I haven't dressed up as a bunny yet. I don't care about the bunny and the egg thing. The kids understand this is crazy stuff. But when we talk about Jesus, it's something different, isn't it? This is the story. The resurrection. The deacons are going to come and get in their place as we prepare to take this meal. As we get prepared to take this meal, just because we've changed because of the pandemic and all those things, we do it a little bit differently. We don't pass the plate and do those kinds of things. When they get in place, what's going to happen is, I'm going to have you stand and we're going to have a word of prayer. And you're going to come down if you want to help take part, take place, part, participate in this. And uh, you're going to take a cup and you're going to go back to your seat. And you'll see that it's got to peel off. And uh, you've got to peel off different layers. And yes, it's persnickety and I'm sorry. And it, you'll be fine. You're a big person. If you see someone that needs help, help them. Jesus wants us to follow him and to remind ourselves that we follow the crucified and resurrected Jesus. That's why we call ourselves Christian. We need to remind ourselves of this because we forget. We make it about religion or being nice or all those things. It's about following the resurrected Jesus. Join us. Would you stand with me please? Paul tells us a story. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it, and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul continues the story. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul explains, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is one way that you declare your faith in Jesus. You know, there are so many ways we can do it. This is one way. This is how Christians who get together they proclaim their faith in Jesus together. I would imagine, and it may not make the news, but there are Christians all over Ukraine that are doing this very thing today, and it's going to be hard for them. But what it does is, 
gives people a sense of strength because even in the face of death, there is hope because of resurrection. And that's one of the great challenges, no matter what. Even when people can kill you, you win because you trust resurrected Jesus, not the powers of man. Why don't you stand with me? Nate's going to lead us in a closing hymn of commitment and invitation. An opportunity for you to respond to Jesus where you're standing. If you want to come forward and talk to me, that'd be great. You could catch me out back. That'd be fine. The story of the resurrection challenges you in so many ways. It challenges you to act. It challenges you to believe. It challenges you to trust and do. Step up to the challenge and allow God to work with you and bring you life both now and in eternity. Nate? Remember next week, bring cards for Russ and his family, and we'll give him a card shower on his last service here. Bob, why don't you come and lead us in a closing prayer? So glad you came to worship with us today. Go in peace because God, the resurrected Jesus, is with you. Bob. Thank you. Father, we thank you again. We ask that you be with us as we leave today. Going forth, most of us, to gatherings of family, friends, dinner. Help us to live our lives, live our week, our days ahead in a way that will honor you, your way, your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.